Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Today's podcast is very important to every livestock farmer in the continent, mainly because we shall be addressing some of the diseases of economic importance to every livestock farmer, like the transboundary diseases. And in relation to these transboundary diseases, we shall be focusing on uh, some of the models that have been used in the continent to ensure that the diseases are either eradicated or controlled. Some of the Transboundary diseases of interest include rinderpest, swine fever, and PPR. We are your hosts, Jokithuo and Wayne Wafula. And with us, we have a world-renowned microbiologist and veterinarian who is going to take us through some of the practices that have been adopted by the African Union through the Inter-African Bureau for Animal Resources, AU-AIBA. And I'll let him introduce himself. My name is Henry Wamwai. I'm a Kenyan and a veterinarian specialized in microbiology and virology, the study of viruses. I began my career at the then Kenya Agricultural Research Institute, or CARI, way back in the early 80s, where I worked on research on some priority transboundary diseases affecting Kenya and the Eastern Africa region at the time, which was principally rinderpest and rinderpest-like diseases. We'll talk about rinderpest in a short while. I left Kari in 2003 and joined an NGO, Terra Nova, that had a number of projects in Somalia in the livestock sector. And my role was to coordinate a series of projects that aimed at rebuilding the veterinary services of Somalia following the collapse of the Syed Bari regime. Uh, I worked in Somalia until 2009 when I joined AIBA, AU-AIBA, again to coordinate initially uh, projects in Somalia, but later I coordinated a project for the Eastern and IGAD region, covering all the eight countries of the IGAD region. Currently, I'm working as a consultant for the African Union at the AU-AIBA office. That is quite an impressive CV you have, Dr. Wamoy. Um, You mentioned that you currently work with the AU-AIBA. Maybe for the purpose of our audience, what is AU-AIBA? What does it stand for? What, does it, what is it tasked to do? And as uh, while you are at it, we could as well uh, talk about the different types of these transboundary diseases and how they manifest themselves for our farmers to take note of. Okay, first of all, Joki and Wayne, thank you for having me on this uh, podcast. The African Union, Inter-African Bureau for Animal Resources, or AU-AIBA, was first established in 1951. It was then known as the Inter-African Bureau of Epizootic Diseases. And the purpose of its establishment was to coordinate the study and control of rinderpest in Africa. 
Rinderpest is the most feared disease of cattle and some species of wildlife. And at that time, it was ravaging the continent with serious socio-economic impacts. And therefore, governments at the time, colonial and newly independent governments got together to see how best to tackle this disease and hence the decision to, to establish a bureau to coordinate its study, to understand it, and its control. In 1960, the bureau's name was changed to the Inter-African Bureau for Animal Health because as you know, things progressed, it was felt that there were other diseases causing problems on the continent, and therefore the bureau should also be involved in coordinating the effects of some of those other key diseases, such as trypanosomiasis. Then in uh, 1963, following the formation of the then Organization of African Unity, which was a precursor to the African Union, the Inter-African Bureau of Animal Health then was integrated as a regional technical office of the OAU, you know, and its activities covered all the independent African countries or members of the OAU at the time. Later, in 1975, the directors of veterinary services of the African Union meeting in Mogadishu decided that it would be better to expand the activities of the Inter-African Bureau for Animal Health to cover other issues like production and so on. And so the Bureau was then renamed the Inter-African Bureau for Animal Resources, which is a current name. And in, actually, it was the, the Inter-African Bureau for Animal Resources, but under the Organization of African Unity. Then in 2003, when the African Union was formed, or you know, the OE transformed the African Union, uh, the Bureau became named the African Union Inter-African Bureau for Animal Resources. And it was incorporated under the AU as a specialized technical office of the African Union Commission. And presently, AIBA, AU-AIBA, is mandated to support and coordinate the development and utilization of animal resources. And animal resources includes livestock, fisheries, and wildlife. And we are doing this for human well-being and economic development of the member states of the African Union. Thank you, Daktari. Let's focus on these transboundary diseases. What are they? How are they described? And how do they manifest themselves? Okay, let's take it uh, one by one. I uh, will talk about transboundary animal diseases. There are other transboundary diseases, of course, of plants, of uh, humans, but I'll focus on transboundary animal diseases. These are animal diseases that have rapid spread with the potential to cross national boundaries. So they can spread rapidly across national boundaries, affecting different countries at the same time or sequentially. They often have serious consequences on animal health and may also, in some instances, in the case of zoonotic transboundary diseases, zoonotic diseases are those that can spread between animals and human beings, would also have serious consequences on human health. And of course, they are of socioeconomic importance because they may cause 
high mort high death rates, and they may also they spread rapidly and may cause loss of production, and of course cause anxiety to farmers and other stakeholders who depend on livestock or animals for their livelihoods. Let's bring this home for our African farmers. We know that Africa has a rich population of livestock, approximately 1.7 billion heads, um, about 80% of the global population of that's only for for sheep and goat and we also know that uh, it's part of the african culture to keep a lot of birds so we do a lot of poultry and other other birds how do these diseases impact our livestock and birds to be specific well as i said before there are many transboundary diseases and uh, transboundary animal diseases are also diverse you mentioned birds we have newcastle disease for instance which is a transboundary disease affecting poultry and this is very common in many households it's often you know people go and visit their relatives and friends and they are given a chicken they take it back to their households and within no time the entire flock in that home is affected because they brought in a bird that had maybe newcastle disease and it transmitted to others and killed everything else off if they were not vaccinated okay and we have other examples of transplant animal disease that you mentioned one earlier the pest epitie ruminans so ppr is another transplant animal disease and as you said in the introduction it began in cote d'ivoire and uh, spread across eastern africa across to other parts of western africa central africa it's now in asia as well as parts of europe so these are examples of transplant animal diseases and different species have different diseases that are transplant in nature affecting them cattle in this region for instance you, we have a disease called contagious bovine pneumonia that affects mainly the lungs of cattle spreads very rapidly and causes very high mortality or death rates in cattle populations it's a serious disease and related to that also we have the contagious caprine pneumonia which is also uh, a pneumonia that affects uh, mainly uh, goats in the region so these are examples of transboundary animal diseases uh, we also have other examples of the avian influenza which you've heard about fortunately it has not taken hold in, in this country but it has entered the continent in various places south africa uh, egypt nigeria have recorded outbreak and, and and even uganda have recorded outbreaks of avian influenza these are transboundary diseases and different transboundary diseases will have different manifestations depend you know there's no standard uh, as we say clinical signs of a transboundary animal disease it it depends on the species affected it depends also sometimes on the populations affected but generally these are diseases that have high spread affecting members of populations of animals within a very short time a lot of animals will be affected and this is what uh, farmers need to look out for a disease that is spreading rapidly affecting large numbers of animals and you know and large uh, herds and and and, uh, and different herds at the same time now that we know what transboundary diseases are how they manifest themselves and some of the signs and symptoms we need to look out for as farmers what control mechanisms exists uh, for these diseases in the african continent 
that we can take advantage of? Well, for some of the diseases, we have very good and very effective vaccines. I mentioned Newcastle disease or poultry. There are very good vaccines that can be used to prevent flocks from getting infected. And if you speak to farmers, some farmers in the village will tell you that, you know, when they vaccinate their flocks and Newcastle disease outbreaks occur in the area, the vaccinated flocks are usually not affected. But those farmers who have not vaccinated them lose a large number of their birds. So vaccination is one method of preventing uh, infection and spread of such diseases. Apart from vaccination, we also have biosecurity measures that can be uh, taken to prevent both the introduction and spread of diseases. And I gave the example of foot and mouth disease, which we are all familiar with. Many times in the media, we hear that uh, some veterinary officers or district veterinary officers in certain areas have imposed quarantines. Yeah, stop the movement of animals and animal products into and out of certain areas because of the outbreaks of foot and mouth disease. These are measures that prevent the spread of the disease. Other measures on farm, for instance, if you go to say the very good farms and very good hatcheries that have high value animals, you find that they have disinfectant dips at the entrance and they require you to drive your vehicle through the disinfectant dip. And before you enter either a poultry hatchery or you know, a poultry house, they have foot baths with disinfectant that require you as a visitor to dip your shoes inside so that you do not carry whatever germs and other organisms that you have into their clean hatcheries and cause havoc. Okay, so these are some of the biosecurity measures. Fencing, for instance, is another biosecurity measure so that animals are enclosed, they do not move out or other animals do not move in to an establishment without you know, uh, being certified to be safe, to be disease free. Okay. So these are some of them. And then at the national level, of course, we have the import and export controls. If you want to import animals into the country, they need to undergo veterinary certification. You have to, you know, to produce certificates attesting to the health status of these animals. You cannot just bring an animal in anyhow. So the animals, if you're importing animals, need to be tested, just like is happening now for COVID. If you're leaving the country, you need to undergo a test. And only if you're free of COVID, will you be allowed to board a plane to your destination. And at the other end, depending on where you're going, you may also be placed under quarantine for a number of days before they allow you, they release you into their population just to ensure safety. And this is a practice that we also uh, have in veterinary medicine where we ensure that animals coming in are tested and only those that are free of the disease that we of interest are allowed in. And uh, sometimes we also require animals to be quarantined for a certain period of time to monitor them and ensure that they're healthy before they're brought into the country. And similarly, when you're exporting, depending on which country you're exporting to, they will have requirements and you may have to undertake certain things before you export the animal in a healthy state.
So these are some of the measures that are undertaken to ensure that uh, there's prevention and control of disease spread. Doc, you mentioned PPR as one of the transboundary diseases that we should take note of. Uh, let's delve into that for a bit. What is Peste de Petit Rumina and why, why should we, as the African farming community or the African livestock community, be worried about this? Okay. Peste de Petit Ruminants is a French uh, word or French name. Peste de Petit Ruminants, or, you know, the pest of small ruminants or the plague of small ruminants or blood plague, depending on, you know, uh, how, you know your preference. This is a, she, a, a disease caused by a virus. You know, viruses are notorious things. Now, it's caused by a virus that belongs to the uh, group of viruses called mobili viruses, mobili viruses. In this group, we also have rinderpest virus. We also have measles virus of man. We have canine distemper virus of human beings. And there are also other mobility viruses that cause disease in marine mammals. So seals and dolphins. And they, they, they are serious diseases. Now, pestipity ruminants affects mainly sheep and goats. And sheep and goats, if uh, you're familiar with the farming systems, are abundant in this country. They're abundant throughout Africa. They're abundant in Asia. Yeah, in Africa as a whole, it's estimated there are about 700 million sheep and goats. The majority of these are in the Igad region, or the Greater Horn of Africa region, and in the Sahel region. So the more marginal, the more dry parts of the continent, uh, you know, host the majority of sheep and goats. And there are very key elements of support for livelihoods and income generation, as well as employment in these areas. Uh, in addition to that, in the majority of these places, sheep and goats are herded and looked after by women and children, and they provide nutrition to the households. It's easier to sell a sheep or a goat quickly than it is to sell a cow or a camel in order to uh, obtain some income to purchase other essential household items. And therefore, a disease that badly affects sheep and goats has huge impacts on household nutrition, household incomes, and, and also you know, livelihoods in, in general. And this is what pestipity ruminants or PPR does. Pestipity ruminants, when it affects a sheep or a goat, initially the animal will develop some signs of fever. Okay. It, will, it will have a, a high temperature, but uh, not many people measure their, not many farmers measure their temperatures of their animals. But fever sometimes in, is manifested in, you know, through a, a sudden loss of appetite. The animal doesn't eat as well as it does. 
the hair may stand, you know, so that it's, it's not smooth as it normally is. And then shortly after that, the animals begin to have shed tears, yeah? more tears than is, is normal. And this could progress into a lot of mucus coming from the nose as well. And the tears could turn from clear tears to become, you know, very uh, mucoid, like mucus. And at the same time, the animal begins to develop, you know, breathing problems. So signs of labored breathing because the chest is affected, the lungs are affected. And animals may also progress to uh, have diarrhea. Diarrhea, which could be profuse and with diarrhea, of course, the animals uh, lose water, they, they lose salts, they become dehydrated, and they, they could die. Now, in a what we call a naive population, that is a population which has not previously experienced PPR or been vaccinated against PPR, you could get spread to almost all the animals within a short time. So 100% or 90% to 100% spread, or what we call morbidity. And out of those, you could lose, again, up to 90% of the animals in naive populations. So it is a serious disease that spreads rapidly with uh, serious socioeconomic uh, consequences. Um, thank you for informing us about why PPR is a disease of economic importance in the continent. Uh, for each man and woman out there rearing sheep and goats, how do they identify PPR as a disease in their stock? What are the symptoms that they should look out for in the case of PPR infection in their sheep or goats? Let me start with your last question. Why we need to be wary of PPR is because of what I said earlier. It has rapid spread. It causes high death rates. It spreads you know, uh, rapidly. It's transboundary in nature. So it will spread from one household to another. It will spread from one community to another. And it will spread from one village to another, one county to another, and one country to another rapidly. So because of that, it's necessary to put in place control mechanisms. Now for PPR, fortunately, we have a very good vaccine developed over the years that with a single shot, successfully administered, not what I say successfully administered, because you can vaccinate, but that may not translate into successful immunization because the vaccine has to be handled. You've heard of the COVID vaccine, it's being handled in a particular way. It needs a cold chain. Similarly, with the current PPR vaccine, you need an effective cold chain from the point of you know, release up to the time it gets under the skin of the animal for it to be able to confer the benefits of long-term immunity. And a single shot of that vaccine has been shown to protect sheep and goats for up to three years, which essentially is a lifetime of a sheep or goat, given you know, how quickly we eat them in this country and elsewhere. Okay, so consider it, you know, a, a single vaccine can protect a sheep or goat for, for life. A single dose, rather, can protect a sheep or goat for life. And this vaccine also protects against all the known strains of PPR. So there is no strain of PPR that will escape uh, 
if an animal is given this vaccine, it will be protected. So we have a very good tool for PPR prevention, a vaccine. Secondly, we also have very good tools for PPR identification or diagnosis. We have laboratory tools that are easy to use, that are you know, not very costly, that can quickly help us to identify or confirm PPR. Yeah, and uh, big, sorry, yeah. And then, of course, there are other measures that I said, you know, the, the quarantine measures, the movement controls, import controls, all these are measures that need to be put in place in order to effectively control PPR. But having said that, again, we know the challenges of our pastoral areas and even some of the other areas where movement is, is often difficult to control because the pastoralists move out of the necessity to find food and water for both themselves and their animals. When things get dry, you, you cannot stop that movement. They have to move with uh, an existential necessity. And so that presents challenges in ensuring that uh, PPR can be effectively controlled all the time. And this is where uh, institutions like the African Union and the regional economic communities like EGAD or EAC could come in and ECOWAS in West Africa could come in to bring countries together to work out mechanisms of how the disease can be controlled simultaneously across the different national borders. So for instance, if you're going to have vaccination campaigns in Kenya, coordinate with Uganda, coordinate with Tanzania, coordinate with Somalia, Ethiopia, South Sudan, to ensure that at the border areas, those vaccinations are going on at the same time. Okay, Because if you vaccinate now and your neighbors don't vaccinate and they have the disease, it's a matter of time before that disease comes back to affect you. And therefore, the benefits of vaccination are lost over time. Yeah, so it's important to talk to your neighbors and to agree on how you're going to do this, coordinate and harmonize your approaches and your interventions yeah, so that you achieve effective control. Indeed, PPR is a disease that could uh, adversely affect one's populace in, in their livestock. Uh, from the AUIBA, what are the policies and some of the structures that have been put in place to keep this transboundary disease in check? The, the practice of vaccination differs from country to country. In some countries in West Africa, the farmers pay for the vaccine. Yeah. In Kenya at the moment, I think PPR vaccine is provided uh, without cost. Yeah, I think this is to the farmers at no cost because of the need to, to, you know, to, to control the disease. And uh, I should also add that uh, the importance of PPR uh, has made it a focus of attention, of international attention, by the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations and also the World Organization for Animal Health. OIE. OIE, it's also a French acronym, Office International des Epizoutis, 
is an old organization that was established again, just like uh, AUIBA, as a result of Rinderpest. And its role was to coordinate information and share information on Rinderpest across the world. Yeah, it was established in 19, uh, uh, 1940 or 40 something. I forget the exact date, but it's, it's early. It's earlier than uh, AU, AUIBA. Okay. Yeah, so these organizations in 20, 11 focused on PPR as a disease that you know can be eradicated globally. That's very impressive. Okay. And uh, subsequently a global strategy for the eradication of PPR by 2030 was developed. In Africa we also developed a pan-African strategy for the control and eradication of PPR by 2030 in alignment with the global strategy. And the decision for global eradication was based on the issues that I mentioned earlier, the socioeconomic importance of the disease affecting so many countries, so many people, so many livelihoods across the world. Over 300 million people are dependent on sheep and goats for their livelihoods. And also, the fact that we have effective tools, the vaccine and the diagnostic tools that make it possible to focus on eradication. So at the moment, efforts are being made to mobilize resources for concerted efforts at the Pan-African level and at the global level for a coordinated campaign to ensure the eradication of this disease. So Doc, we'll presume that that's the case for all the other African countries as well, that farmers would uh, procure the vaccines through uh, contacting their local veterinary vaccines production bodies. Is that so? Well, for the, the cost of PPR vaccine is not very high and the cost ranges depending on the manufacturer there are various manufacturers on the continent you know botswana manufactures ethiopia manufactures senegal egypt morocco uh, kenya as well manufactures ppr vaccine at the kenya veterinary vaccines production institute and the costs vary depending on the country from about 0.04 us cents which is about four shillings per dose to about uh, 0.08 or eight shillings per dose, okay, manufactured. Now, the only trick is that they, of course, they pack them in doses of about 100. So you, you can't buy one dose, you have to buy several doses. And if you don't have 100 animals, perhaps the rest will be wasted. But then you could team up with your neighbors uh, as a farmer and have your animals vaccinated. Now, so that's the cost of the vaccine. Then, of course, there is a the cost of transportation, the cost of delivery. But uh, as a rough estimate for Kenya, I think by the time the vaccine gets into your boat, including professional costs and so on, you will probably be spending something like 10, 15 shillings. But of course, if you if you have only one animal, then the cost will be much more higher because you know the cost of the professionals will not vary whether you have one animal or or twenty animals. It may it may be the same. So, 
On average, that would be a rough estimate. But for more accurate uh, information on this, it would be best to maybe contact the Kenyan Department of Veterinary Services or the Kenya Veterinary Vaccines Production Institute for a more updated uh, costing. Uh, I may not be the best person to give you accurate figures right now. To summarize today's topic of discussion, uh, we have noted that uh, the African Union through AU-IBA is a champion for uh, the control or eradication of these transboundary diseases with a special focus on PPR. We've known that the PPR has uh, vaccines available which are either free or very, very affordable to farmers. And you can pull your resources together as a village or even as an, uh, a town uh, to control PPR via vaccines. And uh, from the discussions we've had with Dr. Wamwai, uh, Farmers can visit their local veterinary bodies uh, to understand more about PPR and other transboundary diseases. As we close our podcast today, I'd like to invite Dr. Wamwai to give us his parting shot uh, on what farmers and other stakeholders should do to ensure that these transboundary diseases we face in the continent are controlled or eradicated. Okay, thank you very much. All I would like to say to the farmers and other stakeholders out there, these include you know, butchers, transporters, and market operators, as well as the various professionals and uh, paraprofessionals dealing with uh, animals and particularly sheep and goats with respect to PPR, is that being aware of such diseases and reporting their suspected occurrence or their confirmed occurrence at the earliest possible opportunity is one of the key factors in ensuring their effective control. As I said, they spread rapidly and therefore any delays in reporting allows the diseases the opportunity to spread. The other issue that I'd like to call upon the stakeholders is to have transparency because oftentimes traders will see a sick animal among animals that they have bought and fear that if they announce this sickness, it could impede their trade. And so they hide them and in the process, the disease spreads. Or even farmers could have sick animals among their flock and they fear that if I announce this and it's said to be found to be a transplant animal disease, they're going to clamp down on me. I'm going to have my movement restricted. I can't move my animals. I can't sell my milk. The effect of not being transparent is that the disease spreads. It becomes entrenched or established, or as we say in, uh, in medical terms, endemic okay. within the populations. It takes longer for us to control. It becomes more expensive. And in the long term, everybody suffers because of it. Whereas if it's reported on one farm, reported immediately and action taken, that farm will be closed down for a few, maybe weeks or months, but eventually it will open up and other farms around it will be safe. So transparency, reporting, first of all, and transparency in reporting is, is critical. And then what you are doing as a standard group is to raise awareness on these issues. This again is a critical aspect of ensuring that people are aware of the presence of these diseases, these diseases and that they can do something about it to assist in the control and eradication.
So I would encourage all the stakeholders to take active interest in their animals and to report at the very first opportunity any observation of abnormal behavior or disease in those animals to professionals who can then take necessary measures to confirm and to advise on the best control options. That was quite an informative session we've had. Thank you very much, Dr. Amoai, for finding time. Thank you to you, our audience, wherever you are. We hope that you learned something through this episode. Uh, we look forward to see you in the next one. We are your hosts, Njokithuo and Wayne Wafula. Thank you and goodbye. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.